The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. This is Sarah with The First Circle, and I'm so excited to welcome back Ann and Sherry from Success with Breastfeeding. We had such a fun time the first time attacking all these breastfeeding myths, and there's just so much to talk about. I couldn't help but invite them back for more boob goodness. <laughs> so <laughs> We're always up for that. <laughs> so let's dive right in. So you got me thinking about um, breastfeeding myths. So I have a couple that I want to throw at you and see how you handle um, so I, if you breastfeed your baby too long, you're spoiling it. Ooh. <laughs> Good What'd one. you say to that? <laughs> you can't spoil a baby, um, especially a newborn. But we say as long as the breastfeeding relationship is working for both mom and baby, it is totally acceptable and worthwhile to continue breastfeeding, even through two years or longer. Breast milk does not lose its value just because your baby turned a year old. Um, breast milk still has value and still has those antibodies and all the things that your baby needs. So there's no reason just because your baby turned six months old or turned one year that you have to be done breastfeeding. So as long as that relationship's working for both of you, it's okay to... You can't, and you can't spoil a baby. I mean, what are they supposed to, they can't even myelinate, right? Or no, no, not myelinate. It's uh, the process. No, the, go to sleep at night. They don't even make um, melatonin. 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 Yes. Wow. Yes. It's not myelinate people. <laughs> Breastfeeding actually helps myelination. <laughs> yes, it does. That good fatty <laughs> fat. Yeah. Yeah. But there are lots of studies out there too that, um, that say you can't, like babies that are loved and snuggled and held, held and things that they actually develop better and they feel more more secure and more um, confident in their parents. And so... Because their needs are being met. So babies communicate for us. And so it's hard sometimes when we hear a parent um, project their feelings onto their baby. Oh, my baby doesn't like my breast milk because mm-hmm. my baby won't latch. Or my baby doesn't like me or my baby doesn't you know, different things like that, where babies are trying to communicate, they're rooting, they're showing signs that they're hungry, or they're tired, or they're overstimulated, and they, they need those boundaries, they need that calm assurance that their needs are being met. And so if we put a baby down, and, and they cry it out till they fall asleep, well, they've cried, and they've communicated until their needs weren't being met. And then they sometimes just shut down. Yeah, um, especially in the beginning. Now, we're talking baby babies when and when we say the word baby, there's a very wide range of age, my eight year old is Still my baby. Exactly, yeah. exactly, right? And <laughs> she so, is my sweet baby. And so, and so when we say babies, we have to specifically help you understand that we're talking about newborns. newborns or like newborn is less lower than, than three months? Less than three months? Or? We t- what is your, I mean, what's a newborn? For Anna and I, a newborn is usually that first three to si- three to five weeks. Um, oh, okay. Because then we start getting into the two-month-old where they're alert, more stage and three-month-old. We're looking at different developmental milestones when we're- Got it. See, even baby. I don't even know what you're talking about when you say baby. <laughs> yeah, so we're usually talking about the newborn little slug. Yes, first okay. to three, one to six weeks, um, one to three months. Got you know. it. 
So um, I was told before uh, I had my first baby that I needed to toughen up my nipples before the baby came. And that wasn't fun. <laughs> so is there any truth to that? Don't do that. <laughs> Bad idea. Oh, and you know, I should probably put a disclaimer. Like, If you haven't heard the first episode with Sherry and Anne, you need to go back and listen to it because we're going to kind of build on some of the same stories. I think we're going to be referring to things they've already talked about. So this may not make a lot of sense if you haven't heard the first episode. No, absolutely. You hear people online saying, I... I was just told like to get a, a rough washcloth and just yeah, yeah, rub it all yeah. over my nipples and <laughs> or tw- and twist them and I just and why usually it's a male doctor that is telling oh. you that <laughs> a lot of times too maybe some other older moms too but um no that tissue that nipple tissue is actually different than anywhere else you have on your body your nipple tissue is different than anywhere else on your body and so please be gentle and kind to that. Because there's no such thing as toughing it up, is it? Can um, you toughen no. it up? I mean, can you eat calluses? Is that what you... What are they wanting you to do? Well, eventually, I mean, your breasts do can get used to, to breastfeeding, but it doesn't really help to start toughening up um, your nipples before the baby's born. Also, the... Um, glands around the nipple are going to be secreting um, this really special substance, which is just like the oil on our skin. So it's not like you are leaking all this fluid out, but it's creating this protection for that nipple in the areola area. So towards the end of your pregnancy, 30 week, 36 weeks or later, you don't mm-hmm. really want to use harsh soaps or anything on that nipple area. You just want to let it be as oh. natural as possible and so that it can protect your nipple and start and um, so they can stop for stop for um chafing or or like suck yeah that can actually mm-hmm. protect it's like mm-hmm. rubbing lotion yeah. yeah it's a special oil mm. sometimes you're not going to eliminate discomfort at the beginning of a breastfeeding relationship um some rug, rug burnish type pain some discomfort when breastfeeding at the beginning is part of normal breastfeeding experience Sharp, severe pain Mm -hmm. lasting throughout the entire feeding, that is not normal. Nipples cracking, bleeding, breaking down, all those things, that's when we need to start evaluating um, why are you having this nipple pain Mm -hmm. or this nipple breakdown. Um, But just like rubbing with a harsh washcloth before is not going to prevent Well, and also, so in labor sometimes, uh, when I'm at birth, the midwife will will, uh, ask the couple to stimulate nipples because um that sure. can that can increase the strength of the contract contractions so wouldn't want you wouldn't want to mess with your nipples too much right at the no. end of pregnancy right no and that can actually have preterm labor issues yeah. if people start pumping or doing nipple stimulation the thing that i find frustrating is in all of the books or things that you read online about breastfeeding it's a natural process and it should be wonderful and feel comfortable and if there's any pain then your latch is improper and so I read that with my first baby and so when it did hurt I was like oh no I'm doing it wrong what Mm -hmm. am I doing and I was I was stressed um and when in actuality I just have a little piranha gnawing on me every two hours (laughs) for 24 hours and it can be a little discomforting and so a lot of times Anna and I will say you know we see a mom you you curl your toes you breathe through your nose that first initial latch on you're like Mm -hmm. okay and it's better so so that first initial discomfort can be normal well also i learned um that there's there's a difference between that sharp searing pain like you said that goes up into your shoulder blade Mm -hmm. that's not okay Mm -mm. but my letdown is actually pretty painful and once i kind of embraced the letdown and kind of made it it's like it hurts so good type of like you just ran five miles burn Mm -hmm. type of pain and once i kind of like 
surrendered to that and just said, my letdown's not going to be enjoyable all the time. Like it made the letdown less painful because in my mind I had just said, this is a normal physiological process for me that the letdown is just. And that's what you learned about your body. Yeah. We have some moms that, that feel such intense pain with a letdown and we have other moms that say, I have no idea. I can't I feel, feel it at all. Wow, mine is and and oh, I did not realize that your milk isn't like an on and off switch like the fridge, the water maker thing. Um, and I did not realize that any type of stimulation, hearing other people's cry, moving you a leak. certain way in my bra, <laughs> I would let a let down. And so my first baby, yeah, yeah, very very leaky. <laughs> also, yeah. your breasts work together, so. When one lets down, when yes, the baby's yes. latched on, a lot of times that other one just starts and that, to I flow. used to just put a bottle there to capture that extra We've seen milk. moms put full-on cups. And and a lot of times the... Um, Tupperware cups yeah, under Tupperware there. Yeah, Tupperware cups. She just set it there and just filled that sucker up on the other side. But a uh, nice thing is if a mom's trying to build a stash and she does have that overactive letdown where it just leaks quite a bit at the, um, when the other one is latched on, you can use a haka or a soft silicone pump to put on that other side to catch and collect that milk um, because we don't want any of that to go away, especially if you can donate it to a baby in need. And speaking of milk, um, it changes in composition throughout the feeding, right? So it starts with the... I heard this. They're making faces at me. I don't know what they're going <laughs> to well, say. Well, it's because you're going into the IBCLC taboo land. Um, it's funny. <laughs> we get in trouble when we say words like milk and hind milk because if you want to get technical, some guy came up with those terms back in the day. Breast milk is breast milk, but you are correct. It in, changes composition. It does change composition throughout the feeding. Because I noticed the beginning, it was more... Skim milk, yeah, looking, yeah, yeah, clear, and, and then the the rich cream followed. So I got the advice that I needed to finish a feeding on each side before moving because then, otherwise, the baby wouldn't get any fat. My baby's my milk is skim milk. I pumped you know like a four ounce bottle, and my skim milk was maybe two millimeter. I mean, my fat on the top was like I do not make. And that's where milk. working with a professional is really important because just saying like an overall um, guideline, just finish you know, only feed on one breast so that your baby gets that good fatty milk at the end. Um, Sometimes that turns into a block feeding. So you feed on the right side Mm. and three hours later you feed on the left side and three hours later you're back to the right. Well, the right breast hasn't been stimulated for six hours now, which is really a long time in the, in the land of breastfeeding. And so unless if you have this really crazy, amazing supply. Moms that have a little bit more fragile supply, you don't want to go to that kind of block feeding mm. because it can decrease the milk So this supply. is the other thing. It's go to your professional and they'll mm-hmm. be able to help you understand those nuances. Yes. Yeah. Because again, those breasts are, no two breasts are alike. Yeah. And no, and no two bodies are alike. And so I can, I have to breastfeed my tanks. I only have so much ability to make. Did you just call your boobs tanks? Yes, I did. And so, <laughs> so I can only, I have to feed more frequently because I only make X amount each feeding. Whereas my friend who makes gallons and gallons and can feed so much, her, her babies can go four five hours between feedings mm. because they get so much in a feeding, whereas I don't. And so it depends on your body. It depends on how much you make per day, per feeding, you really kind of have to figure it out. So if you're watching your baby's hunger cues, mm-hmm. do you feel pretty confident that in most situations, watching a baby's hunger cues will equally match a mom's? Like a mom will meet the baby's needs just fine without 
Depends. Um, a lot of, well, okay, okay. But also, remember, you guys only see the broken ones because they, <laughs> by the time we, they come to you, they are so, yes. so... Absolutely. We talk a lot about feeding cues because sometimes babies are doing really well and the mom's questioning that. Do I really have enough? Mm. So... One really simple feeding cue that I like to teach moms is just watching the baby's fists. And if the fists are really balled up and tight at the oh, breast, that's that baby's t- like, I'm hungry. Um, and if the and if the hands are nice and relaxed, um, then you know that baby's being satisfied. Um, so sometimes babies cry. I know that's shocking, what? but... Right. You're a bad mom if your baby exactly. cries. <laughs> and so sometimes moms don't want the baby to cry at all or they think their baby's starving to death. Um, that's their only way to communicate. So sometimes there's crying. Sometimes babies are fussy. Sometimes babies have gas. And all that can be totally normal. Or it could point us in the direction of, you know, babies not getting enough to eat or other complications. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So um, what is mastitis? You always hear, I got mastitis and I almost died. For sure. It can feel like that. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> it can. It feels like you got hit by a freight train. I mean, it's a full body infection that began in the breast. Oh, um, I didn't realize it's full body. Yeah. So that's why you get fever, chills. You can have a red spot on your breast that is infected and streaking up your breasts. Hot. The breast is hot and tender. Um, so usually, not always, but a lot of times we see precursors to mastitis. So if a mom gets a milk plug, plugged milk duct that never goes away, then we have this kind of breeding ground for bacteria. That So mastitis is a bacterial infection? Mm-hmm. Mm. And so sometimes there's lots of different ideas. Dr. Jack Newman on his website, um, he'll often hold off on prescribing antibiotics and see if the mom's body can take care of the infection on its own first. There's old uh, wives tales of um potatoes you soak oh i heard that one or cabbage um cabbage cabbage? be careful with because cabbage actually can dry up your milk i know but oh that's what they use when they want to dry or engorgement trying to deal with engorgement phase or in dealing with drying up milk but um you've got root beer you've got cabbage (laughs) well you know there's lots of different things you can do with dealing with breast so but mastitis is a severe infection and it can be lethal and so you want to have a skilled practitioner be taking care of you but what's the difference between a clogged duct that really really hurts and actual full-blown mastitis so you can have a clogged milk duct that really, really hurts, but hasn't turned into a full-blown infection, meaning that you don't have a fever, mm, you don't feel like you have the flu, you don't have the full-out infection. But if you notice that coming, absolutely, we want to try to get that duct to release and to empty so that it doesn't have that breeding ground for the infection. One other way that, I mean, there's lots of ways, but another way moms can get mastitis is just from broken down nipples that are cracked or bleeding oh, or anything like that because it allows the bacteria to enter into mm. the body, it just opens it up for that infection and allows that to happen. So so should you be washing your nipples before you breastfeed? Mm-mm. No. Nope. that's Mm-mm. Nope. Yep. You don't have to wash your nipples or anything like that. It's just keeping them clean. Also, if you're having these broken down cracked nipples and things like that, putting some breast milk, rubbing it into the nipple after letting them air dry. Oh. Um, and caring for them that way. We have other things that we do as well, but that's the... Um, is mastitis related to thrush? Different bacteria. So is it for different... Okay, so talk about thrush. thrush because Thrush the, is a fungal infection. Thrush is when they have the... They put that blue stuff all over their mouth and nipples, right? What's that? Yeah, thrush, thrush is like yeast and 
yeasty infection. Ah, it's a yeast, so, so it's a yeast. fungal so infection. So can thrush feel like mastitis if it gets in the breast? It, a lot of times moms just come to us and say, my boobs hurt, Everything my nipple hurts. hurts. So we, we have to start to figure out, okay, is it actual nipple pain? Is it breast pain? Is it... And if it's a fungal infection, both mom and baby get it. So then we're seeing a fussy baby with white patches in their mouth. So they've got the yeast in their mouth or they've got a yeasty diaper. So we see yeast being passed back and forth to mom and baby. Oh, that's really – so it's really hard because you have to treat both – everybody at the same time. Everybody and everything. Bra- and everything. Bras. Bras. Mm. Pacifiers. So that's a yeast. That's a yeast. Got it. And and mastitis is, can be in, is in one breast – a lot of times, so it's not in both breasts. Mm. Whereas yeast, we see it in both both, both nipples. Yeah, because it's going My back and forth. My nipples hurt. My nipples. Both of them are hurting. I can see what so. you're saying. You listen very carefully. We listen to every word. All and, the little And clues. a lot of times, moms come telling us exactly what problems they have, and, so and then they just, wonder how you can you can tell them what's going on so fast. Well, you start to see patterns. <laughs> yeah, you start to see, you know. Another question they ask about mastitis is, is it safe for me to feed my baby since mm-hmm. I have mastitis? And and it's totally Please fine. Please do. Yep. And we, with thrush too, right? Yeah. You want to keep emptying that breast. Keep yeah, I was going to say, if you stop everything for mastitis or thrush, you're going to end up worse. with no milk. And it's going to get worse, mm-hmm. right? Because then you just get the plumbing all backed up. But a, long, a lot of times when a mom experiences mastitis or any sickness, we see a dip in their supply. Because your body has to create the milk, right? So we get low blood volume too. We're like, we're not drinking enough. We have, you know, um, and so a lot of times we'll, moms will have mastitis and the next week baby's really hungry because we have a low dip in supply. Mm-hmm. Um, but it will come back if you continue to nurse and, and pump and, or sometimes we see a low milk supply if baby gets sick because babies doesn't want to nurse because yeah. again, breathing is number one. So if baby can't breathe and nurse at the same time, they're going to choose breathing. And so... <laughs> Oh, priorities. Right? <laughs> and so um, during cold and flu season, we have stuffy noses. And so a lot of times it's a really good idea to suck your baby out before they nurse. Because I, I I heard somewhere that babies don't really know how to breathe through their mouths. Is that true? They're obligatory um, nose breathers. So they breathe out of their nose. But if it's clogged, I mean... They'll they, go to their mouth. They they'll go to the, the mouth. Way. But I just have noticed that my babies will like... <laughs> struggle before they open their mouth yeah so if they have an actual sickness like a of congestion you can see baby gets on suck 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 <gasps> pulls off, off breathe breathe and squirt it in the face <laughs> and <laughs> yes. milk spews everywhere. and let's just put out there that there is not one hole in that nipple that you can have seven to 15 I know, you holes squirt across so the like room. you squirt across the room you know or you've got one or hole that squirts eye. to the side <laughs> so it hits the wall or you know like it just there is a All spray everywhere it's so graceful Oh, really, lovely. really graceful. And you feel wet and sticky and everyone smells like cottage cheese. It's awesome. <laughs> or yogurt. Or yogurt. Or that cheesy because it gets in their neck folds oh and you're gosh. like, oh my gosh. Or that spit up, you know? You just are like, yeah. mm, I smell good. I feel good. I'm sticky. <laughs> Baby's crying. But it's cool. And it's glorious motherhood. If you have Aww. something really cute to go with it. But see... I'm past that, so when I have that on me for my job, I'm <laughs> yes. like, well, oh, I don't have you. anything cute to take home with me, so yeah. I just smell like milk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, can you breastfeed after you have a breast reduction or an implant? How does that work? I would say you have about 50% chance of doing great and 50% chance of not. You never know what has happened when you have a surgery on the breast as far as the ducts go. Because it's literal tissue. plumbing, right? There are pipes in yes. this. Yeah. Yeah. Please, if you're considering an augmentation and you're hearing this and you're 
um, either planning or wanting to start a family or having a baby after an augment, um, please go to a breastfeeding friendly surgeon. Mm. There are ways that you can have that done that will affect breastfeeding less likely. Because I heard that they cut off the nipple and replace it. In some cases. Yeah, that would just break all the plumbing, right? Or can it re... It does, and it, and it oh. also affects the, um, it's that biofeedback and the stimulation mechanism that goes to your body, and your body can't get that if those nerves have been severed. Um, a lot of times, though, practitioners will say, oh, absolutely, you can breastfeed after you have this, and so... There are moms who have an augmentation or any sort of breast surgery for other reasons and are surprised. Mm -hmm. Then they go to have a baby and say, but the doctor said that I was going to be able to breastfeed fine. Now, we don't know whether the mom would have had a difficult time breastfeeding before the surgery. Yeah, you don't know what caused it. Or not. But I've been recently working with a mom who um, has had an augmentation and she just gets constant mastitis. And the only thing I can think of is going down to um, different changes in the breast that don't allow it to empty very well or anything like that. So we don't know if that would have, these things would have been like how they happened before she had this surgery or if it's affected by that. So So. that makes another question. Where does your scope of practice end? Like what can you, do I'm allowed to say the word diagnose? You are an RN. What are you allowed to to say and not say in terms of mastitis and plumbing Issues. Mm. Can we call them plumbing issues? <laughs> yes. As an IBCLC, we assess and give suggestions. So we assess the situation, whether it's baby or mom or breast, nipple, whatever. And then we suggest. You say, maybe like, you should go to a doctor. Maybe so, you should And go. we refer. We suggest and we refer out. So we never diagnose and say, this is mastitis. We say, this could possibly, because we can't do anything with that no, mastitis. Yeah. We can't prescribe antibiotics. We can't prescribe, prescribe medication. Um, and so we suggest that you go to your practitioner and say, I t- saw an IBCLC. She thinks it might be mastitis. You know, let's further go down that road and, and figure out. We, we do have the ability to, um, to help moms come up with game plans. Uh-huh. Um, so we call them game plans because we're like, look, especially with a low milk supply, we have the low milk supply game plan. Yeah. We have the, you know, better nipples. you know help with the latch game plan and Anne and I are very funny because somebody will come to me and I'll see the baby and then for whatever reason scheduling wise or whatever Anne will see the baby and then we'll compare notes afterwards and we'll say the same thing or I'll be like oh my gosh I swaddled a baby up last month and she's like I swaddled the same one up and we never swaddle to breastfeed but sometimes if a baby is so overly stimulated or is having trouble with boundaries or we're having oh sensation, I did my babies did better when I tied them up but sometimes not the whole time but yeah swaddling. so it's it's funny we haven't swaddled in years and we yeah, had we both, both the same baby both the same baby and the mom's thinking you guys have some sort of <laughs> it's secret our brain communication going back to the diagnosing though we have an interesting um practice sherry and i do where we do work with a doctor in In our our clinic so that specific mom that i'm talking about we were having this conversation with a doctor doctor. in the room yeah and so you can so when you have that relationship it's kind of cool because we can dive into some some other things but absolutely we need to be involving practitioners in the whole game plan that sherry's talking about and when we see a baby we fax the pediatrician 
our care plan that we came up with. Wait, um, fax machine? Sorry. I know, sorry, right? I just Back I in the day. completely got derailed. You have a fax machine? Well, <laughs> we have to be really careful with HIPAA. So the patient oh, privacy. Got it. Yeah. So all. So when we talk about situations with moms that specifically we're talking about like different no. cases that we see yeah. over the over our practice, um, we aren't giving any specific information about a mom or or a baby that mm-hmm. would be identifying that mom or baby like and so, names or yeah, yeah or or sizes or or birth dates or anything like that yeah. so so we have faxing is the only safe way that we can send information from we can't email it to them um and so it's not secure. it's not secure Interesting. Um, and so we have to fax it over to that <laughs> oh, office guys. um with a cover sheet and everything so that it's Anyway, oh. but we like to keep the pediatricians because again, we're dealing with babies and their yeah, doctors. Yeah, you need to keep them. And in their the loop. doctors, mm-hmm. their pediatricians have this job of taking care of the whole baby, right? That whole baby. Where our job is taking care of like the breastfeeding and and yeah and event and and dynamic very relationship. Yeah, so we're mm-hmm. very so we. Well, how do you always say it, Anne? You always say my job is. Oh, I always say they pediatricians have. A couple hundred things that they are taking care of and watching for. We have about five or six. We have mom's breasts, how they look. We have baby's mouth, how it looks. How those two things fit together. Mm-hmm. How mom's body makes milk and how baby's body is growing. I mean, literally, who knew that we could spend our whole life, your whole on career, five. But or the nice six thing things. is, you are very specialized, so you would be considered a specialist. We are, and then you you can take your information to support the general practitioner in making. And we're a team player. We want to have yeah. this conversation with the doctor. Like if if and we call doctors up. We're like, hey, did you know that I worked with the baby, and I'm I'm thinking that this baby might benefit from da 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 da. Or what do you think? Like we we work with it as a team. Like we are we are not yeah. all knowing. And you are you are an IBCLC. So we talked about this in the first episode. But you have a bazillion years of training, and <laughs> yes. you are ours. Pr- you not are years. We're not that old. Thanks. Not a bazillion <laughs> years. We feel old. <laughs> Yes. And, but so you are seen as a medical professional. Mm-hmm. Um, are you seen sometimes, do doctors respect you as a, as a peer or do they see you as kind of a supplementary thing? Like, I'm just curious. I would have to depends say. Depends on the doctor. Exactly. It depends on the doctor. So the, the benefit that Sherry and I have is that we are going to be spending about an hour with a patient. Mm-hmm. No doctor has time to see a patient start to finish of an entire feeding and to assess the whole thing. Just looking at a mom feeding for two minutes is not a full assessment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's Or where, even a latch for two minutes. Because yeah. the latch changes throughout the feeding. Yeah. It can change. And so everything that we do in our clinic is full oral and feeding assessment and history and all those things that play a big part into the breastfeeding relationship and experience. So that's kind of what sets us apart. And if the practitioner embraces us of being an equal person. Saves them a lot of time and headache, right? That's cool. Absolutely. Well, and it just shows that the practitioner is invested in that patient's well-being and, and, you know, I can't think of the word right now. Again, going back to the care. mom brain. I have yeah. a two month old. We didn't say that in this podcast. <laughs> oh yes, I do. disclosure. <laughs> Sherry is happier. <laughs> yes. Um, but the the other thing about being an international board certified lactation consultant is, when I sat down to take my boards, 
the a mom in China or in India, we're taking those same boards. So if you have an IBCLC, we get on our forums and and they'll be like, "In I'm in Ireland. Where do I find this that you're talking about?" Or mm-hmm. I'm in, you know, it's, it's, it's a worldwide the board. Because, wow, because breastfeeding is worldwide. Yeah, it's, it's the human race breastfeeds. So when we have problems, we have problems that worldwide. Are worldwide, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay, so I want to ask you about. Um, breastfeeding and working like what if a mom has to go back to work um and she needs she would like to keep breastfeeding like what are her options even sometimes I have moms say right at the beginning after they deliver I don't want to breastfeed because I'm going to be going back to work and so our big thing in that moment is to educate how can you breastfeed and work and we've both gone back to work after having babies I always went back after all four of my babies to 12-hour shifts working as a nurse. So I get it. Mm -hmm. It's hard. But the rule is if you're away from your baby and your baby's having a bottle, you have to be pumping. So if you do a bottle, so if a baby's getting three bottles away from mom, in an ideal utopia world, you would pump three times. And if you can pump three times then we want to stay on that same kind of schedule so your body stays in the same rhythm as baby. Now, again, we don't live in an ideal world. Mm -mm. And like Anne said, we're both nurses and we started out with our babies as 12-hour shifts. So we would leave our babies for 12 hours. And if you know anything about nurses, you're lucky if you get a 30-minute break in the middle of that day to be able to pump. Um, and yeah. hopefully you working in a, in a breastfeeding friendly environment. I wasn't that lucky and I had a really difficult time and had to fight for my pumping time to be able to keep my milk supply. Um, and so I would encourage moms to do the best you can figure out, um, you know, call for backup. Hey, can you cover me when I need to go pump or find mm-hmm. someone on that just supports you and has your so back legally? Like, is this a protected status? For sure. Wait, what? It actually is in all 50 (laughs) states. In all 50 states. In all 50 states. Wait, what does that mean to be protected? Can you go in there with your bras burning and and demand a nursing (laughs) room with a... I'm (laughs) leaving right now. No, really, what does that mean? It really does. So you need to look into your state to see the specifics of what that has written up. But usually it means that by law, you have to be provided a place to pump that is not in the bathroom, which unfortunately I did for years years uh-huh. straddling a toilet with my pump on the back of it, which is just That's disgusting, disgusting and just not okay. Um, and so you are supposed to be provided a place to pump that is not a bathroom and time for X amount of hours to be able to pump and provide that sustenance. And you can't your lose baby. your job over it. No, they not, they're not supposed to, it's not supposed to be harassed. Like you, um, they're making fun of you for having to go pump or giving you grief to have to go pump. Um, and you're not supposed to be able to be fired for having to pump. I just nice. find that moms feel stressed, though, to make that happen sometimes. I am I try to give them, like, the encouragement. You can talk about a space. You can make this happen. You can bring your pump bag. Try to help them find mm-hmm. ways that it would be easier to fit into their schedule. Because I think sometimes it's the employer doesn't understand really what the mom needs. So if the mom comes equipped and says, 
hey, so Mr. Boss, here's the deal. I'm breastfeeding this baby. I just need 20 minutes every couple hours. I need a quiet. This is my pump. It's really quiet. It's not going to. I mean, I think some of them are like, you have liquids coming out of your boobs. Like, I mean, some people just culturally, they. Yeah, they're they, uncomfortable. They don't, they don't know about it. Which is so funny to me. So, so do you think some I, of the stress is just that there's this disconnect, this misunderstanding between absolutely. the workplace and the, I mean, even. Yeah. And then that makes the mom feel uncomfortable. So then sometimes they get embarrassed or don't feel like they can stand up for themselves. So can she say like, that? what's a good conversation starter? Could she go and say, so what are, what are your workplace policies for breastfeeding? Could she start a conversation that way? For Absolutely. sure. And have, and be open and be like, what are your concerns with me? Breast or yeah, pumping like concerns? my, my work load or my work, you know, I actually got written up by a fellow nurse because I abandoned my patient to go pump when I actually had asked another nurse to cover me and she said she would. So there was a lot of tension for me, like brought up in staff meeting, Sherry Gunn, are you still breastfeeding your 10 month old? Why? And I was like, oh my gosh, aren't we all medical professionals? Don't we know that breast milk is best? Like, come on, this is me wanting to provide for my child. But also find an ally. If you don't feel comfortable talking to your boss, as an IBCLC, I am more than happy to go talk to your boss with you. <laughs> like this, bring in the big cherry well, uh, guns. Yeah, sorry, right? sorry, too easy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we just want to talk. We just want to have conversations, and we want to have open communication and education. Mm-hmm. So we just are all about educating um, employers, employees. What I feel like most employers employers do want to keep their employees safe, happy, and healthy, mm-hmm. and so this this misunderstanding could be easily cleared up. Well, a lot of times a mom will miss more work for a sick baby that's formula fed that is more um oh boom more prone to sickness um not that all babies that are formula fed are prone to sickness but we know that breast milk has the antibodies that help fight the sickness Mm -hmm. for babies and so we know that a mom a baby that's getting breast milk will have hopefully less sick days for a mom to miss work and they have pretty quiet i'm sorry i'm laughing because i'm like PTSD trauma from all the pumpings that I did. I went back to work when my babies were days old and I did, I shot weddings. So I remember climbing into my car and hooking up my pump and like watching the whole wedding and like, well, I mean, I would leave at good times, but I would be watching them, the photographer working with a couple and I'm in the parking lot. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh, if we want to talk about pumping stories, which I think is hilarious. I've pumped on the back of a snowmobile in Yellowstone with a frozen pump. Nice. And it was like... And I have like ice cold flanges. I'm like, hurry, 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 hurry. <laughs> so cold, so cold. Oh my goodness. I would love to hear more funny pumping stories. Every mama's got one. Maybe to diffuse the energy of the not so funny pumping stories. <laughs> well, like, I mean, just if you're being yeah. mocked or, yeah, or it if is your hard. pump breaks. Oh, the time you forget your flanges or, or the time you forget your power, <laughs> power cords. Or I, I started doing births and I had an infant and so I would go and there's all these babies and the oxytocin is just rushing and I'm just like drenching my shirt. Yes, the <laughs> leaking. I just started carrying my pump everywhere I went because <laughs> yeah. I learned my lesson the first time I swear my baby would sleep through the night, we'd be out of town somewhere and I wouldn't have my pump and my oh, yes. boobs would be Oh my gosh, the yes. first time. expressing. Yes. Trying the to, first time like, your baby misses a pump. feeding and your, your breasts turn into squares. <laughs> I know. And it's so funny because other moms that are listening to this are like, I want to do that. I want to breastfeed because you're like all this discomfort. It's just, no. we just have to laugh at the, at the, the discomforts and the funny things that happen because of your breastfeeding journey. You have to laugh. Yeah. 
Or cry. But or cry. just laugh. You'll do both. <laughs> You'll do both. Laugh and cry. It's so worth it, though, when you have that little snuggle bug. I, like, again, nursing my, I mentioned this last time, but nursed my last well into her toddler years. And so well, her little eyes, she would be, she would be, you know, suckling. And her little eyes would look up at me, big blue eyes. And I'd be like, da-da-da-da-da. She'd come off. I remember one time she came off. She said, Mommy, can you please stop talking? I'm thinking about other things. And I was like... We are done with this breastfeeding <laughs> journey. <laughs> well, excuse I'm going to use that as a segue into more baby-led weaning because I was like, excuse me, honey, we should be weaned. Again, re- reviewing the first first episode, like my first three babies just stopped breastfeeding. They stopped. They we- like they got less and less frequent until one day their suck felt different and they, it's like they had forgotten how to – the second reflex and we were done. And this last one, she just never got that memo. Like, I don't know <laughs> – I don't know. So what is baby led weaning and what, you know, we see all these memes going around about baby led weaning. What is it? Yeah. So the way that we talk about baby led weaning is, is letting baby give the cues for when they are ready to be done breastfeeding and to end the breastfeeding So toddler led weaning, kindergartner led weaning. That's a thing too, right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> There's also baby led weaning, um, which is a way to start introducing solid foods to your six, seven-month-old, um, which is a whole separate thing. So the way that we are talking about baby-led weaning is just following your baby's cues. Mm. And we go back to what I think we already said on this episode. If the relationship is working for both mom and baby, it's okay to continue. Um, if for some reason mom's not feeling it or baby's not feeling it, whoever isn't, then maybe it's time I've totally to... seen it where... Well, I've totally seen mom's not feeling it because so done, right? I was totally. so done. Um, but I've also seen it where babies are done. Like they have no interest and the mm-hmm. mom has an emotional attachment or something's going on. That they just want to continue mm-hmm. breastfeeding. Um, I have to say that I've been through this part of the experience where at nine months old, my first baby was like, I'm done breastfeeding. And... I was so not done breastfeeding. <laughs> so I was like, not going to let that happen. And I yeah, did a and you're lot the of, mom. You're the exactly, boss. Exactly. I did a lot of crazy things and actually did get that baby back to the breast. But sometimes it's not always that he was just having like a nursing strike or nursing something. Strike yeah. Oh, what's different. a nursing strike? Nursing strikes are different than um, babies weaning themselves. Yeah. Nursing strikes are when, um, for whatever reason, baby is striking and refusing to nurse. So my, I had a strike with my son when he <laughs> is this a power struggle. He what is bit this? me and I screamed and cried. Oh. And then he was too scared because he would look up. At, he was he was nine months old, and he would look up at me. And go to nurse, but then he would remember that I had screamed and cried, and so he he wouldn't nurse. Like I would try to force him, and he's like, "No, you're gonna like." It was it was you a traumatized. Your- I did. Did so- you put some money into the therapy fund? <sighs> oh yeah, yeah. And so we um we had to work through that. He and I to get back to nursing, and he nursed longer than my other kids, and so um that's a strike. That's different. So they're just and, and even being sick may be a little bit of a strike. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So it's just noticing, kind of watching their cues. And also there's sometimes where maybe baby still really wants to breastfeed, but it's just not working for mom. Um, You just don't feel like yourself. If you're not loving and enjoying this breastfeeding relationship, then maybe it's time to start that weaning process. And our bodies and our babies, there is a natural process. When they're a little older, babies become more distracted. 
So they, they're more interested in the world around them and they're starting solid foods and they don't want to nurse as frequently yeah. or as long. And that's a natural process because what happens is all of a sudden now we're decreasing the amount of time at the breast. So our body's slowly decreasing how much milk we're making. Mm. So then the baby goes to the breast and he's like, I am only got like a few drops and it was a lot of work and I don't want to do that anymore. And so they'll fight you. They'll literally fight you and you're, you're trying to bring them back to the breast to nurse and they're fighting saying, I don't want it. I don't want it. And, um, and so the, over the, over the course of the time, usually around the year mark or 18 months or whenever that is happening where you're f- having to fight it, then it's not healthy and yeah. it's, and it's done and baby's done and it's okay to be done. It's a mourning process. A lot of moms who love breastfeeding, um, well, it can be both. We mourn. Yeah. It's a, it's a liberating process where you're like, hallelujah, burn the, burn the nursing bras. Let's go out. <laughs> um, but but it's also normal to feel that little depression yeah. a little bit like well, it's morning. It's my baby growing up. Except yeah. when your baby starts to I think that was a grace for me is having my four and a half year old tell me off because not tell me off, but you know, explain things to me because I, I mourned her less than <laughs> she was yeah. my last baby. If yeah. She, for if sure. she'd wean at ten months, maybe I would have missed it. But now I'm like, nope, I, I paid my dues to the nursing gods. Oh, for sure. I am totally and and now I feel like I can joke about it. Like if you nurse your teenager. In fact I wrote a blog article about how to nurse your teenager. But don't take me seriously because don't actually nurse a teenager. But <laughs> when it when a child can, you know, have conversations with you. Oh and my baby's sign. So uh, they're fluent in sign. So we could actually have two-way conversations while she was nursing, which is also interesting. <laughs> but anyway, so what is an inverted nipple? Like a nipple that goes backwards. Okay, well, this is an interesting topic because most women think that everybody's nipples look like theirs until you have the profession <laughs> where you look at nipples for a living. It's really kind of strange. That's what we do. And honestly, nipples look as different as people's faces and body shapes. So we can have all sorts of things with with nipples, shape and size. We can have large nipples. We can have very everted nipples. We can have flat nipples. We can have inverted nipples, small nipples, huge nipples. Fibrous, elastic, colors. Wow, you guys, are. there's so many words you're using. I just don't understand. (laughs) All sorts of things. But when it's coming to this inverted nipple that you're talking about, um, when you... It's an innie instead of an Audi. Yeah. Like a belly button, literally? Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's inconvenient. Yeah. Well, yes, because when hurts. you actually stick a bottle, like a baby bottle, to the back of the baby's mouth, it triggers that sucking reflex and the baby just starts to suck. Oh. If you're trying to get the baby to latch onto a bowling ball like a breast would be without having a real everted nipple, it can create a lot of challenge. And frustration. And, and pain too sometimes. So that mom. hurts because it hurts when the nipple's drawn out by Pop the out. sucking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So what's a nipple shield? Why do people say they have to use a nipple shield? What's that do? Well, it creates that nipple shape for the baby, but it also oh. sometimes helps to create the seal around the breast so that the baby can get a seal at the breast like they need to draw the milk out. So the milk's still going to come back even if the nipple's in any. Well, it's the- a little harder sometimes. And the nipple shield is actually a, a very thin, soft silicone plastic that has a triangle on the top of it that actually is the nipple like shape out, the Audi. It creates the Audi for the baby right, to right. latch so onto. It's, it's almost like a bottle that you put on your breast. Kind of. We've seen those ones and they're kind of scary. So no, not don't use the ones that look like a bottle just taped to your nipple. So the nipple doesn't actually make milk. The nipple right. is just the way that the milk comes it's the out. the faucet. Yes, exactly. So 
um, you can kind of so go on so when so when the baby latches onto the shield um, and the shield is put on properly and it creates the seal like Anna was saying, the nipple does the if it if the nipple is truly inverted then it has to evert so it has to come out and it kind of pops out and mm-hmm. then the baby's able to get the milk out. Um, and sometimes a lot of moms will explain to me that popping sensation is kind of like a rug burn. Like it just, when it pops out, it's just that quick, tight twist and it hurts. Does for it a stay out or does it go back in? Like, is this a bio, like this is a physiological thing? A lot of times, uh, some moms actually that have had e- inverted nipples with a first baby by baby number four, it's been pulled out enough times that it actually stays out sometimes. <laughs> um, not always the case, but we have had a couple of those cases. A flat nipple is is one that does there's nothing to pull out because it's flat um and so oh. sometimes it sometimes moms have a harder time getting milk out of those nipples because it actually just is flat and so um sometimes it's the milk is harder to come out hand expressions harder wow. things are harder to get milk colostrum's harder to get milk out of those nipples because the the avenue the faucet is kind of just flat and it's a little bit I harder. I never heard of flat. Well, I flat nipples, but I thought it was like because they were squished. Mm. But no, you're they're like just, they're kind of missing. Yeah, it's, it's almost like, like they're, they're flat. They're just they didn't wow. elongate. Oh, and random question: How come the areola, the 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 part around the nipple, how come that goes so dark right before a mom gives birth? Mm. That's helping the baby to be able to find the nipple and find their way to the breast, visually. so they can it's a neon visually. sign <laughs> target. Exactly. A target. It's, it's the target, but the different coloring from um, the other part of the breast, helping baby to be able to see that and draw their oh, way. Oh, that's cool. The and breast. they just kind of instinctually know to go towards the target. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that wow. contrast. But if you've read anywhere or heard anything about that you need to have the air, a lot of the areola, or I've heard even nurse, some well-meaning nurses tell a mo- new mom, you need to get all your areola in the baby's mouth. Oh, yeah. That's not impossible. That's impossible for me. Well, I've seen some extremely large areolas that actually like go up onto the breast. And I've seen this one poor mama trying to get all of her areola into the baby's mouth. And that baby was just gagging and struggling. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. But then there's other areolas that barely even go around the nipple that are so mm. small that, yeah, you better have all that areola in the nipple because if you don't, or in their mouth, if you don't, then you don't have enough of your nipple in their yeah, mouth. Yeah, so what's a shallow latch versus a deep latch? Well, I hear that word too. Yeah, because we want to have a lot of breast tissue in the mouth when the baby is breastfeeding. That's just for the best stimulation at the breast, the um, best seal around the breast, drawing the milk out, all those things. So you can really see a shallow latch. If you look when the baby is latched on, on the side of the breast where you see like the V area of the two lips coming Mm -hmm. together. The corner. Yeah, the corner of the two lips. We want a really wide open latch so not like a skinny triangle where the oh, lips are close okay. together like not pursed together Mm-mm. not pursed together wide, wide. like ah. over 180 degree angle so we're, we're not wanting a little triangle we want a wide and that's deeper a, a deeper we always call, call it breastfeeding not nipple feeding so we do if we if we were nipple feeding <laughs> baby would just be on the nipple and that hurts <laughs> those hurts. there's hurts. lots of lots of tender nerves there for a reason um and so we want that wide latch so the baby's actually compressing the breast tissue deep and getting that deep you can't see what i'm using with my hands but ann and i talk with our hands all the time but we want that She's big wide man i know with her. big wide yeah. or like baby shark daddy shark right um hand wide angle mouth yeah just to help for also best nipple comfort sometimes if there's a really shallow latch the baby's doing that 
nipple feeding. When the baby comes off, the nipple will look like super flat or like lipstick or pointed. And really, we want the nipple to just look like a bigger version of itself, round. Because it relaxes and opens, right? I noticed when I would pump sometimes, my nipple would get as big as the flange (laughs) tube, and I was kind of disturbed. Yeah, (laughs) Most people are. Elasticity in your nipples. I was like, uh, some women women don't have very elastic nipples. So that's the type of tissue. Um, And so their nipples sometimes are harder for baby to latch onto because it can't pull it deeper into its mouth oh i see so baby uh, your nipple if we showed you a like a side view of inside your baby's mouth your nipple should basically be down their throat almost your nipple should be reaching the back of their so that's throat really hard if it's if into it's... their soft palate region mm. so if baby is just on your nipple baby's actually compressing your nipple with their hard palate which is bony and hard and, and painful. oh it hurts so bad yeah i've been there done that yeah <laughs> all of us have that 3 a.m feeding when you're like just eat kid and you're like oh okay never mind let's figure this out <laughs> yeah, yeah deeper 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 so this this brings us into the last thing i wanted to talk about um which is tongue ties and lip ties and all of the crazy okay so when I first learned about tongue ties it was about 10 years ago I was working on a documentary and it was pretty uncommon to know what it even was and and it feels like nowadays everybody's like posting pictures of their babies on Facebook and in groups and saying is this a tongue tie and Social media has Mm. completely changed the dynamic when it comes to tongue and lip ties Mm -hmm. Um, because there's so much mom-to-mom support that you can find on Facebook, but also it can be so overwhelming Yeah, um, that every single breastfeeding problem that you list, someone's saying, have you checked for a tie? Have you checked for a tie? And then... This cute mom who's struggling so bad just lifts up her baby's lip or tongue and posts a picture and says, so is this a tongue tie? Is this a lip tie? And then has hundreds of moms at her disposal saying, yes, you should go get this fixed. And so um, this is a big area in our practice of what we do um, of helping moms whose babies are struggling with tongue and lip ties. And it's, but you don't do the revision or diagnose it. No, we do. You're not. just saying this is our disclaimer. We think maybe we, we're saying that moms come to us saying something is not right with the way my baby mm-hmm. is feeding. Please help me. And a lot of people say, "Well, is every baby that you see have a tongue or lip tie?" In our practice, <laughs> it feels like it, huh? We see a lot of this because all the moms that are breastfeeding is going beautifully. Nothing hurts. Baby's doing well. Well, they're at home. We don't see those moms. They, they don't come <laughs> see us. And so that's why we have a lot of experience in this area. The biggest thing that we want to do is educate moms who are struggling to be working with a professional who is skilled in this area and also creating a really good team. Having a team um, is really important. There's a The team is threefold. So you need the IBCLC because obviously you're breastfeeding and you're coming to have this tongue lip tie. And and sometimes actually we do see moms that are bottle feeding that babies are struggling with tongue and lip ties. But for the most part, the IBCLC is the one that does the functional assessment. We we see the function. How is the baby's jaw yeah, because and like lip all and All four tongue. of my babies had ties of different degrees, but I was successfully, I successfully breastfed all of them without any revisions. So it's you're well, looking more at function than yeah. actual like, like if the baby has a tie and is doing great, then do you need to correct it? Sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. Um, and again, we're not the ones diagnosing those. So the so the mm-hmm. other person in the team is the um, actual 
provide release providers. So whether that's we we prefer and we refer to pediatric dentists, um, or you can have pediatricians who are well if they're tongue tie savvy and they're trained in tongue ties. Then yes, use your pediatrician. The third one is a body worker. So what we have found in our practice over the years is that um, getting again we talked about how breastfeeding is a whole body thing. So we have to get the whole body and the mouth ready for a release before we just release it. So that's why it's so difficult when we see these moms on Facebook getting another mom's opinion, running to a dentist who isn't tongue-tie savvy, saying, release my tongue, the baby's tongue. And and the dentist sees the anatomy and says, oh, for sure, there is a tongue-tie. Let's release it. Well, that baby wasn't ready to be released. And then we they come back to us and they have still are still having the same breastfeeding problems because that tongue wasn't ready to be released. And mm. so, or that whole body wasn't ready to be released. And so, I just had my 11-year-old's tongue tie released um, two weeks ago. And for the solid month before we released it, we um, were doing exercises. And we were getting her tongue ready for that release. Um, and so Anne and I and and Michelle Emanuel and all of these colleagues that we admire and, and love their work, we talk about the optimal timing of release mm-hmm. um, because it really has to be ready for everybody involved. I'm so glad you're saying this because we're actually going to uh, get our 10-year-olds released because of um, braces issues because we're seeing our dentist said that that um, if we release the, she's got a pretty severe tie, that if we release that, it will help her palate de- develop and she might not need braces. So absolutely. I've been down the same yeah. road too. And my eight-year-old so I'm upper gonna research lip was that done way for, more. It is a whole, it is so much information and the whole process can be really overwhelming for moms and for parents. And what we want them to know is that just seeing the release provider is not the only person. So they need a full functional assessment. Sometimes I can see a baby who definitely has a tie. However, the other reasons why we might release it right in that moment, baby's transferring milk well, baby is comfortable at the breast, baby's That's gaining times where weight you wouldn't, well. wouldn't. Wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah you said um, would. Oh, well, yeah, so let's confuse everybody. <laughs> yeah, but if so it's working great. I mean, my 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 best breastfeeder is actually my most tongue and lip tied. Really? And so yeah, she just she just got it done. She yeah. just you know. And I look back on my life and my worst breastfeeder and my most difficult baby, my most challenging baby is my most tied. But I didn't know at the time when she yeah. was a newborn. But I know now, and also I can see the things that she deals with. Um, from not having those things corrected. Um. So, I mean, we are, how many millennia have humans been on the earth? Like, why is this tongue-tie thing a new thing? What is well, the deal? actually, we What's love... What's your theory? <laughs> we love Dr. Baxter's book, Tongue-Tied. You can get it on Amazon. I know we're not promoting anything, but it. this is my reference of what the stories yeah, I'm going to sure. tell you, the history. So, um, actually, and I can't remember which king it was, what king was it, but the same instrument that back in the 17 or 1600s was designed for this king that was born as a t- with tongue tie, they used this instrument to lift up his tongue so that the doctor could cut it, um, is the same instrument we use today. Fantastic. And it's been around forever. In fact, um, another thing is some... Back in the day when midwives couldn't use tools, um, this is horrific, but they would actually keep their pinky nail super sharp. And if that baby had a tongue tie that was an anterior tie, so that just the tip of the tongue, that midwife knew that baby would die because it wouldn't be able to nurse. Oh, so this is uh, so this is not just a modern would, thing. They would clip it. They would 
oh. they would pull that skin underneath there. I know my son fell uh, a couple of years ago and he's like, mom, mom, my lip tie broke. And I was like, oh, I don't show me. I don't do teeth. I don't do. <laughs> That's for sure though. But I think in the past, maybe we weren't um, calling it tongue or lip tie, but maybe moms would say breastfeeding just didn't work for us. Oh yeah. Or I, my baby couldn't breastfeed. Yeah. So something like that that was likely related to a tongue or lip tie, but the education wasn't available, the the practitioners that knew how to treat it weren't available, Mm -hmm. or lots of other things that come up. My my toddler had speech issues or sleep issues, sleep issues. Any of those things can all be um, related to an unreleased tongue or lip tie. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Wow. Okay, one more really quick question because we are out of time, but I just got to know, like, what are your favorite herbs and like home remedies to bring back milk? Can you, are you allowed to say those things or is it pretty customized to the mom? So the herbs have been around obviously forever and we love, we love dealing with herbs um, and to help moms milk. Um, The big thing I always say to moms is if you're not allergic to oatmeal, like my daughter, you need to eat oatmeal every day while mm. you're nursing because, um, it helps. One of the theories is the iron, but, um, it helps your body to make milk and making milk is hard for your body. So, um, eating oatmeal every day, um, th- you always hear the herbs like goats through, um, blessed thistle, fenugreek. Those, if you get online, you'll see a lot of those different kind of herbs and things like that. Um, Moringa is the one that everyone's been using lately. And we love um, a lot of herbs. A lot of times it's just what works for your body. Yes, yeah, so you get it. So um, if this you... This is the kind of thing you would ask your IBCLC yes, about, right? Yes, or, like, or an herbalist or somebody... It just uh, seems like experimenting might be dangerous. It <laughs> it can be. Because we do ask specific herbs are, questions. Herbs are medicinal, so you don't want to just Absolutely. give yeah. yourself a third eye. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> but the mother's milk tea and things like that, other people have tried... Um, you know, you, it's always worth trying something to see if it works for your body. But yeah, talk to a professional that works with that so we can specifically put you on a yeah, plan. Awesome. Yep, our game plans. We're, awesome. We love them. Again, thank you so much. And tell them again where they can find you and all your amazing courses. So we are Success with Breastfeeding, Sherry Gunn and Ann Tullis. And you can find us on the web at www.successwithbreastfeeding.com. You can find us on Instagram at the same name, Success with Breastfeeding, and on Facebook. Um, We would love to hear from you. We have an online course that you can take prenatally or anytime, actually, if you're wondering about breastfeeding. Um, And then we're always happy to to hear from moms. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Please visit us at birthcircle.com. Join our Facebook groups or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience. And thank you to LaunchPod Media, who produces these podcasts.